0: Welcome back to the Just for Show Show, a podcast where we share our love of the performing arts with the people in our community. I'm Galen Malik.
1: I'm Heidi Swarthout, and I'm Justin Scheller.
0: In this episode, we look at some common and some uncommon ways to get butts in seats. And later we talk with Matt Hellyer about improv, stage plays, and a lot of things in between. And now, on with the show. Oh, you must be Nikki.
2: That's right. I'm the stage manager.
0: Hi, I'm Pat. Um, I'll be replacing the oh, actor. Oh, pleased to meet you,
2: Pat. How are you feeling?
0: Uh, fine.
2: How's your spleen?
0: Is that my my spleen?
2: The previous actor playing your role had to drop out of the show due to a sudden spleen ailment. So did the actor before that. S-
0: spleen ailments? Yep. B- both of them?
2: Yep.
3: Good luck, Pat. Pat, so glad you're here. Let's not waste any time. Tonight, we are starting with scene three. Let's have you uh, standing next to the chair for this.
0: Ah, Oh, uh, here?
3: Yes, perfect. Uh, Now take it from the top of page 18 whenever you're ready. Uh, Okay.
0: Who could possibly afford that?
3: Let me stop you right there. Not bad, not bad. Let's try that again, but this time, say the line like you really want an answer to the question. All right?
0: Um, okay.
3: Whenever you're ready. All right. Who could... Hold on, hold on. I have an idea. I want to try something. I want you to deliver the line like William Demarest. I'm sorry? William Demarest from The Great McGinty and Sullivan's Travels. He played Uncle Charlie in My Three Sons. I want you to try the line again... And channel your best, William Demarest. Can you do that?
0: I, I don't actually know who that is.
3: I'll just try it anyway. Whenever you're ready.
0: Uh, 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 <clears throat> who could possibly afford that?
3: No, we're not quite getting it. All right, this time, sing the line.
0: Did you say sing? Yes. Are, are you sure?
3: Yes. Just make up any tune you want. It's fine. But I want you to sing it. Okay? Uh, Okay. Uh, Who
0: could possibly
3: afford that? Alright, that was terrible, wasn't it? Well, I... It's okay. Really. Now, I have a question for you. What is the first word of that line? Who? And which animal makes a who sound? And... Owl? (laughs) Exactly. So let's have you deliver the word who like you are an owl. But seriously? Whenever you're ready.
0: Uh, Okay.
3: Who could possibly afford that? We are so close. Let's put everything together this time. Say who like an owl. Say could possibly like William Demarest. And sing the rest. Is this really necessary? Demarest, singing. Go. Who
0: could possibly afford that?
3: Perfect. Do it exactly that way every night. Ready to move on to the next line? Oh no! What is it?
0: Oh, I I think it's my spleen. Oh, oh my spleen. Oh, oh sorry. I, I have to drop out of the show. Damn the luck. there's no one way to promote a show because every show is a little bit different. Every company that puts on a show is a little bit different. We've got different resources available to us, yada, yada, yada. Um, So let's talk a little bit about like the different experiences we'd had with promoting shows. Like when I was younger, the main way that we would do it is somebody would print out a bunch of posters and we'd go around to businesses and we still do this to a certain extent Mm -hmm. um we'd go around to businesses and be like hey can we put this poster in your window (laughs) and people who've done (laughs) it for a while like know the businesses that are going to be nice about the ones that aren't um but yeah that was always a big at least growing up and i I think it still happens now that was always a big part of promoting a show is all right well we got to get posters together um I, i have a bit of an art background so for a few shows that i was in i actually created posters for shows which was kind of a nice experience because I got to see them up in the windows and stuff like that I never was a big fan of actually going around and asking people to put them up in the windows I don't think anybody enjoys that necessarily um yeah but but it's something I have is that something that 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 you've had to sort of put yourself out there and go business to business door to door and say hey can you put some posters up and is that something you've done Heidi or
1: oh for sure yeah absolutely um I I think just about every community theater show I've been a part of at some point, the posters have been printed and it's, you know, someone at the theater, maybe they're the, uh, the board member who's in charge of PR and marketing. Maybe they're the artistic director, maybe it's your director. And they've got the stack and they're like, well, everybody take a stack and, you know, um, and just, you know, get these up anywhere you can. And depending on the type of show you might think about, where the posters are going to go, where where they'd be most effective. So if you're doing something that's, you know, historical or sort of a classic, it's like, make sure you get them in all the local libraries because, you know, that's going to go over big there. Um, And if you've got something that's, you know, maybe a little bit edgier, you know, the adult uh, establishments, you know, the bars and coffee shops. Of course, Heidi's like going to
0: analyze where the best places are for these posters.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> 100% we'll see. What's going
2: to yield the most results?
1: Right. You know, you, you've got an art background, Galen. I've, I've got a little sales and marketing background, so I can't help but think about um, about that. So yeah, um, hanging posters is definitely uh, still very much a thing, yeah. you know, and, and trying to have artwork that's consistent and recognizable across the board so it's the art on your poster matches the art that you're using in other print materials or what you're putting online um i think sometimes you know that's where uh to me it's like it, it can fall apart if there's not maybe a somewhat consistent campaign um for marketing a show Sure. So it's nice. It's nice when somebody puts, you know, that kind of thought into it and you can look and say, Oh, you know, that was really, they did a really nice job of promoting that show. Mm -hmm. Um, But nowadays I feel like social media is such a huge tool for promoting, promoting a theater for an audition or, you know, anything like that, a, a fundraiser and also for promoting shows. I have several friends and I, might put myself in this category too I I like social media I don't hate it Um, some people hate it but they won't step away from it because yeah that's where all the theater stuff is happening that's where all the audition notices are that's where the show promotion is happening Um, so I feel like that's that's really become a big element of marketing a show
2: I think you also want to have to think about geography too. So if I'm doing a show in St. Charles, does it make sense for me to be putting posters out in Mount Prospect? Yeah. You know, are, are folks in Mount Prospect going to drive all the way out to St. Charles to see a show?
0: Sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, most likely not. And then two, to your point about social media, it's a free media. Um, you don't have to pay anything. And so in the case of being a, you know, not, you know, mostly nonprofit theater, you know, you don't have a lot of money to spend. And so when you're looking at ways to cut back, you're most likely not going to spend a ton of money on posters and postcards. Your focus is going to be more on, okay, how can we promote this show online, you know, as inexpensively as possible. And so I think that's why social media has taken sort of the forefront of promoting shows. The problem is like you said, not everybody is on social media, and not everyone um, is tuned into the theater scene, and so they may not, that might not pop up in their feed Mm -hmm. as something that they should do, Um, and so while I see that it is a a cost-effective way to promote a show, it's not always reaching the entire, you know, group of people that may come to yeah. to see your show. So there are just a lot of different factors that play in it. So I guess, you know, variety is the spice of life. You want to make sure that you have your fingers in every single pie of, of publicity that you possibly can.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I hadn't thought about that before, Justin, that an online post of a show that's coming up for, you know, Albright or something like that on their home page or whatever it is, is great for people who've already seen a show there and know to look for it. But a poster in a window, I have, now that I think about it, actually walked past a business in the town when I was you know, just going to get a haircut or what have you. And I've seen a poster in a window. That's like, I did not know that that theater existed.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Or, or eaten at a restaurant and seen, you know, a, a table at the, hostess booth that might have some postcards or flyers or some kind of printed material that people can take with them um same thing yeah and to see those and say oh you know wow I didn't realize there was even a theater around here Mm. um so yeah the more you can do the better if you can direct them to the website if you can direct them to social media if you can um just you know anything any way to to get in touch so that you're visible and they know that you're there
0: right
1: um and then you know, theaters are also good about working with area businesses to maybe sell an ad in the program, and so they're sort of cross promoting. You know, maybe like, hey, you could put our poster in your window, and we'll put your ad in our program. And yeah, um, so I, I mean, I would love to see more theaters. Since really, in in my opinion, there's when you're out in the suburbs and. You know, there are all these little theaters and they're all trying to, to accomplish the same goal. They're trying to get butts in the seats, people to watch the shows. And all the better if it's not just your family and friends. If you can yeah. if you can get people from the community to know you're there, um, that can be a really valuable tool. I would love to see more theaters sort of cross promote, you know, put each other's ads in your programs because yeah. we, we all have the same goal Yeah, um, and it wouldn't cost anything. Um, but I know a lot of times it's just uh, everybody kind of gets caught up in their own thing and it's understandable. They're trying to, you know, they have this very um, specific goal of trying to make their theater thrive, Mm -hmm. Um, but no harm in helping each other out where you can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally for that. I think there's probably a lot of opportunity there. Um, And uh, yeah. And then there's other things that um, are more events than just established theaters, like, Fringe festival or something like that,
1: right? Oh, and the marketing for Fringe is fascinating. When um, when I was in Troop Straussie, we performed in a, a few different fringes. We we did um, Chicago Fringe Festival, Elgin Fringe Festival, and Minneapolis Fringe Festival, and it was very educational. They they really try to help the artists sell tickets because you know artists get um they get a cut of the the box office so they they want to they want to help you make that money and sell those tickets we for the Chicago fringe our first one we took advantage of you know they offered like hey if you're a new fringe artist come to this marketing seminar we'll tell you exactly how you know the best ways the most effective ways to promote your show and they had all sorts of tools and resources um one of the things that we learned is that if you could have something physical that people could take with them, all the better. So they're like, we know it sounds, you know, kind of old school, but if they can walk away with a sticker or, you know, something, a with button. Your, a button, we did buttons. That's exactly what we did. We, we did little, little cards that had the show information. And then we pinned a button to it with our logo. And sure enough, you'd see people coming to your show and they'd be wearing the Troop strauss button on their jean jacket or on their purse. Um, <laughs> and it was neat. But, you know, everybody was, people got very creative with the materials that they would hand out to promote their shows. Yeah. What do you remember from those days, Galen?
0: I Fringe Festival was quite an experience all the way around. But yeah, a lot of it was sort of getting the word out because it's this weird melting pot of a bunch of different acts all under one umbrella. And you kind of, you were all part of one thing. So there was a little bit of like promotion of fringe in general, but everyone sort of had to go out there and draw their own audience. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because you had this sort of buzz around the fact that there was a festival and it was an established festival and you knew there would be people in the area that were potentially going to come to your show, but they hadn't maybe made up their mind about which ones to see. And so it was this sort of right. environment of going out and, and, and yeah, getting your materials out in, in designated areas. There'd be whole tables full of you know <laughs> cards of all the different acts that, that people could do. Um, There was a certain amount of just, um, I remember in Elgin, one of the Elgin fringe festivals, we actually had a little promotional busking that we did. Um, Part of our act was we had this silly song that we would sing and perform.
1: Amazing song. I don't know why you'd call it silly, (laughs) but go on.
0: This epic song that we would perform there it is and um this aria that you all sang. yeah yeah that's
1: right (laughs) now you're talking Um, that's how i remember
0: it uh so it was a very fun part of the show and um so yeah to promote the show and and because we knew fringe was going on that whole week um one evening we got one of the local establishments and it's one of the bars or something um and we said hey you know we're going to come in and just Perform our song, just slap it down in front of whoever's in the in the bar at the time, and then say, "Come see us at Fringe," and then we're out of here. And that's what we did.
1: That we did. Yeah.
0: So it was an odd sort of version of promotion. It's not hanging a poster in a window. It's going in in full <laughs> costume, <laughs> yeah, into a bar, doing a crazy song, and then peace out. It was. It was very interesting.
1: Yes, I, I remember too um, from the Chicago Fringe that the. The one year that we did it, it was in the Jefferson Park neighborhood. And leading up to Fringe, like a month or so beforehand, they, they were having their sort of uh, uh, community festival, Jefferson, Jefferson Park Fest, where they had food trucks and, you know, uh, different activities and families would come and people would come, uh, beer garden, whatever, and we went and busked there with our materials. So you know, it would literally be like a grilled cheese truck, and we're standing next to it, singing a song, and handing out buttons and flyers, and um, trying to get people geared up. Like, hey, right here in your town, in a few weeks, we're going to be over there performing this thing, and it's so fun. And if you liked this song, art, you're going to love our whole show. And yeah. um it was you know really kind of fighting for attention any way you could, and. Um, and I, I remember, too, with with Fringe because, like you said, Galen, there are so many marketing materials <laughs> because everybody has, whether it's a button or a sticker or a postcard or a bookmark or whatever they've come up with, and, and it's all kind of being plunked down on, on these various tables around the town, um, you really want your artwork to be something unique and stand out, and we were very lucky at the time we had the help of a, a graphic designer, um, you know, who was just a friend of of the troupe, and she put together some really cool stuff for us. And yeah. I remember w- one that I just loved was um, there <laughs> one of the the members of the troupe, Rob Cleave, who um, it, for anybody who doesn't know Rob, he he had sort of a McConaughey look going on at the time, long blonde curly hair, and you know, he was Mr. Buff, and we were like Rob we're going to do a photo shoot for our marketing material. We need you to take off your shirt. Um, <laughs> and we're going to
2: shameless, shameless,
1: totally shameless. We're going to um, have you hold something very precariously in front of you so that it looks like you're naked. And he was like, okay, like he was totally game for it. So um, all of our, all of our marketing materials looked like they had a naked man on, on it, you know, kind of this handsome naked man. And um And the women standing next to him being like, "Oh my," you know. Um, And I think it was very effective because it was something that caught your eye. You know, as you're looking at a table, you're not just looking at black and white print. You've got like, is that guy naked? Like, (laughs) and you, you, and we placed the button over top of you know a very specific area so that (laughs) people would have to remove the button to see what was underneath. And of course, it was nothing scandalous underneath. It was a gag, but um, that was fun. That was memorable.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, And I think, so you brought up a really good point that you all at one point were um, in front of like booths where there was marketing material for all of the different shows. I That draws my eye and I really have to give a shout out to Blue Box Cafe in downtown Elgin. They do a really great job of allowing any artist who comes into the area yeah. and has something to showcase um, the liberty of putting things up in that front window there. Um, I think that's Chicago street. It's fantastic because for me, I'm like, wow, look at all this color and look at all these things. And I know for some people, it's one of those things that they dismiss because there's so much going on. But for me, that really catches my eye. I'm like, Oh, Ooh, I want to see like what kinds of things are coming up. So I think volume. And then two, you all gave the audience a preview. You asserted yourself in public spaces and showed them like a snippet of what you were going to, show them later on Mm. I think that's really powerful too um and you could do that digitally through like a YouTube campaign as well but um I think that that's definitely something the theaters in this area could take away from this conversation is doing more like viral video kind of work and it's so um you know Instagram and YouTube those are great places to to post little clips of the shows that you have coming up um to uh to try to draw an audience yeah sure why and not it's more yeah. than just yeah it's more than just a still frame of like oh here's this little bit in our show or here's um you know an image that relates to a theme of the show yeah it's like no actually here's part of the show that you're going to see in a week or two um in this public space you know that it's a bar. So anyone from the public can be there. Yeah, That's a really, really great marketing tool that I don't think a lot of theaters in this area have explored.
1: Well, and depending on what your costumes are for the show, that can, can really draw an eye. You know, we were standing there, our Troop Strazi costumes were I mean, the whole thing is we were supposed to look like a, a ragtag bunch of actors who thought they were very serious actors. Um, you know, dressed in these ramshackle comedia. Yeah. Yeah. These 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 costumes. So that, you know, the ladies had the the dresses with the corsets and you know and the hair and makeup and um the guys you know some of the guys wore tights and you know so we had this look and we're standing in front of a grilled cheese truck singing a dirty song and people were like what are these people and you know so it, it caught their attention and um i know it doesn't work for every show but certainly you know if you're doing something that's big and bold if you're doing a shakespeare piece with really cool costumes yeah, do those photo shoots. And if yeah. you can make it interactive and get actual people on the street interested. Um, Troop Strazi also, uh, we, we did us. We walked around Scarecrow Fest um, in St. Charles because we were, we were playing a show at the Steel Beam. And it was, again, it was like the next week or something. So we're like, let's go, let's go in costume. And we took a poster board with all of the show information on it. And then we walked around like just sort of talking to people in character and asking if, if they wanted to take, have their picture taken with us. And <laughs> then we would stand there with our sign, um, you know, in the picture and they would do, you know, crazy poses or, you know, bunny ears or whatever. And um, and then we put all these photos online and people were very interested in like, where can I go to see my picture? And not really realizing like you're totally helping us promote, promote. our show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah. That that's fantastic. So, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that's that's a great way to use live uh, get-togethers for promoting a show. I think uh, Justin, what you had mentioned about doing snippets of a of a play that that's going to be mm-hmm. in a theater would possibly lend itself to something like social media, to where you could even do a very intimate little two-person scene or a bit of dialogue and just record that and put that up in social media and that might be enough to get people really interested in seeing what the rest of the show is about
2: yeah and Um, it doesn't have to be anything fancy you could just you know record part of the show with your phone and then you know post like here's what here's what our show is gonna be i mean
0: i'm i'm in theater so maybe that's maybe i'm not the best person to go by by this but if i saw like some raw footage of rehearsals of a show even if it's just a couple of minutes up online, I'd be like, what is that? What are they doing? I mean, maybe I would really, yeah. I'd be really interested in the show. If I got to see a, just yeah. a snippet. Mm-hmm.
2: Even showing some of the like, um, okay, wait, can we go back and do that yeah. again? And then, you know mm-hmm. what I say? Like that? Yeah. If you could see some of the rehearsal process, even along with the actual running of the show, I think that that would really draw people into who I really want to see what's, what's going on here. Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
1: Well, and the magic with, with social media because I I have run and I do run a few social media pages. And with that, you can track every bit of demographic information that you want. You can do it for free, like we said, but you can also throw a few bucks at it and make it an ad that shows up um, with anyone in, within a certain zip code um, and a, if you know your demographic, you know, you could say, I want to show this to, you know, 35 to 55-year-olds and, you know, uh-huh. or whatever it is. Um, and, it, but it's amazing because you can, it, they will, they literally give you charts and graphs that show you which of your posts were the most popular, which time of day is the most popular time to do a post as far as getting views. Mm-hmm. Um, a big thing that, that I learned by doing that is, don't bother with too much wording because what people are really interested in, what gets the most um, attention are photographs. If you can include a picture, any picture, but if you've got p- pictures from your rehearsal process, like what you're talking about, a little behind the scenes snippet, um, that's that's interesting. People want to, they want to look at that more than they want to stop and read seven paragraphs about, you know, sure. the show necessarily. Sure.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Like different people are responsible for promoting a show. Sometimes it's a dedicated person or team of people. And sometimes it's just everybody.
1: Yeah. There are a lot of actors who do a nice job of promoting themselves. You know, you, you sort of have to, to, to some extent, you know, like when we talked to Mike Speller, who does the fringe circuit, but he's a one man show that's, you know, uh, a lot of that work is going to be done by him and him alone to promote his show. Um, and so, yeah, um, you, you get pretty, pretty good at figuring out how to, how to sell yourself, how to sell your, your show.
2: Yeah. I really wanted to put up mercy seat and I pretty, and it was, you know, basically Richard and I and Shannon. And so, um, So I did go around (laughs) and put up posters and that's what I found the most interesting was like, okay, you'd put up posters, like I'd said, that blue box and they have that beautiful street view window, but then you'd go to say a Panera and they're, you know, the, where you could post your poster was like this little cork board by their bathrooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Like if someone got up and went to the bathroom who was an in restaurant patron, they, they could possibly see it um Mm -hmm. so a lot of you know when we're going kind of talking about the old school way of promoting it is sort of contingent upon placement and i and i think volume Mm -hmm. because like when i see those cork boards and there's just like one poster on there Mm -hmm. and it's about whatever health and safety it's like i'm not gonna like (laughs) I'm not going to waste my time, but if it's right. like okay, if the health and safety things there, but then there are also all these other yeah. um, things there that that draws me in a little bit. So placement <laughs> and volume for me is is a big part of promoting. Yeah.
0: Our guest this episode is not opposed to putting himself on the spot as long as it puts a smile on your face. He's the dashing, the dynamic Matt Hellier.
3: Matt, hey, Matt. how's it going?
1: Hello, Matt, and welcome to the Just for Show show.
3: Hello, hello. Welcome myself. This is amazing.
2: <laughs> You're pretty amazing. That's why we asked you to be on the show. <gasps> oh. <laughs> one of the roles that you have taken on is as an improviser. And so we wanted to start there and just kind of talk about how does one get into improvising?
3: Golly, that, I mean... I've read many books that will tell you everyone improvises every single day. We don't have a set plan of of what we're going to do each day. There's no script we're following. You just have a routine to, to get up, brush your teeth, go to work, and all that stuff. Uh, no one's telling you how to do it, how quickly to do it angry or, or sad. <laughs> you just might be used to doing it angry or sad, depending on your circumstances. I'm picturing Matt just, like, very <laughs> furiously brushing his teeth. Yeah, such sensitive gums from all that. Son of a... <laughs> but I guess, for the most part, an improviser might might find their way into it just... I mean, the way I did it was I always had an interest in, in winging my school presentations, Uh and you could chalk that up to maybe being somebody who didn't like planning as much, uh, being a bit of a procrastinator. But part of it was also I liked that freedom to say whatever kind of came to my mind and hopefully get a laugh. There was definitely that reward that was there for me in, in wanting to get a laugh. And I didn't realize that meant I wanted to do improv until I got to college and and saw some improv and then saw my friends get into improv. And then I realized, you know what, I'm going to these shows and having these, these knee-jerk reactions of, I want to do this, or, or that was a good choice that they made, but here's what I would have done. So I auditioned and got into it. But, I mean, there's classes all over the place if people are interested. There's books as well. It's, it's easily accessible. Anybody can and everybody should at least dip their toe in that water.
2: Was your group through college or was it outside of an academic environment?
3: Uh, it was through college. It wasn't like, I, it wasn't a class that led to a group. I think that's how the group originally was founded, but that was way back in the 90s. Uh, just like an a, an extracurricular, a campus group is how you would you would term us, but I didn't get anything out of it other than laughs.
2: Do you work with those same people now? Are any of the is there any overlap between your college group and then the group that you work with now out in Crystal Lake? Right. Well, I know you perform at the Row.
3: Right. Uh, a couple different groups actually, uh, Crystal Lake and in Libertyville. And actually, yes. At at the moment, not as much. I, I did formerly perform with someone who was in the group prior to me ever being. How do I want to phrase this? Someone who was a senior, you know, Jess. Jess was a senior when I was a freshman at Carthage, so I saw her perform before I was ever in the improv group. And then I was in the improv group. We hadn't officially met. I just knew her as somebody who had done improv. And then we performed together after we had both graduated. And somehow just that energy of the group was still there, and we became good friends and... And good performers together. Uh, then in Libertyville, I happened to—I just had an itch to do more—and went to take classes there at the Improv Playhouse. And the day I walked in, thinking maybe I should do the the upper level class as opposed to their lower level class, but maybe I should do the lower level to get their their theory. In walked another Carthaginian merely player improv performer, who I had also watched. And and sort of known, but never really met-met. And he had the same thought. I want to do some classes, but I don't know which I should take. And, I don't know, improv magic led us together. And we performed for a good couple of years there in Libertyville before he had to move. Uh, But also, I'm doing my podcast with a fellow alumnus of that college and that group. So, yeah, some of the relationships do persist.
1: And a lot of actors are terrified at the concept of improv because they don't have a script to guide them. And a lot of improvisers are not interested in acting because they don't want to be held back, um, confined. So (laughs) tell me, which came first for you? Was it acting or improvising? And um, you do both. So how do you reconcile between the two?
3: Uh, that is a good question. I'm glad I actually have a good answer for this. I was kind of a stinker in college because I came to improv and, and, and the arts in that sense a little late. Uh, I have a unique perspective, I guess you could say, especially because I was also an athlete in college and a science major in college. Just getting into the improv troupe was a novelty because usually it's the English majors, the theater majors, those sorts of artistic people. And here I was studying geography, running track and cross country, and and I got in. So yes, improv came first. And at that point, it was my world. Because, wow, this is fun. It's like Halloween every time you step on stage. You can do anything you want, be anything you want. And it lit my world on fire but here are all these theater-slash-English majors going off to rehearse for their plays, when obviously improv is the most important thing. Uh, Where do they get off? And it's funny. I I said I was doing cross-country. That was something I never envisioned myself doing because I was always traditionally a short sprinter-slash-jumper-type athlete. I'm uh, I'm not bulky, but I'm not... Lean, I would say, I'm not the the prototypical long distance runner. <laughs> so for me to be in in a sport where I was racing, I want to emphasize racing for five miles or thirty minutes. That was I, I never thought I would be here. And sure enough, I've had another epiphany moment like that of getting out of college and somebody pushing me to audition for a play and getting it. And then realizing, oh my god, the amount of work that goes into this and the different sort of response and feeling that you get such a satisfaction when you work on one thing with so many people for so long to just have it exist. Improv is fleeting and magical and wonderful, but a play is so much different, and I thought, I was a dick. I had that moment of realization that I was a dick. For thinking they're off there doing something, something that's not important. Uh, <laughs> it is important. And, and I'm glad that I am able to learn that, that I've had moments like that where, oh, I've opened myself to something I never thought I would do. And I am enjoying it. I'm growing as a, as a wee boy to, to wee young man to, to whatever I am now.
0: Have you converted any of your other uh, improv compatriots over to the the world of acting and plays?
3: Um, not really. I have forced upon them some of my sketches in the past, mostly because I had a, a different an itch to write things. Because when you're in improv, your mind creates scenarios even when you're off stage, and you think that would have been great in an improv scene but now that I've thought of it it can never be in an improv scene (laughs) because (laughs) I've thought of it it's not it's not in the moment (laughs) anymore so yeah I wrote I don't know upwards of 40 or 50 sketches over a couple of years for that group that performs at the row and I didn't like thrusting them upon my my fellow players, because like, oh, I'm, I'm just doing this for fun, but also at the same time, we're billing ourselves as an improv sketch group, so somebody needs to write sketch, hmm. and I did, uh, but that's probably the, the farthest I've gone in enforcing this new world of theater upon the peons of improv, <laughs> <laughs> other than making them come see me w- when I can in whatever, right. whatever I'm in.
0: You, you remain a man with a foot in two worlds apparently
3: yes
0: (laughs) so for those of us who haven't done a lot of improv work and things like that um you know obviously like you were saying that there's not a script that you follow Mm -hmm. when you're gonna put on a show but there's got to be some preparation what sort of preparation goes into a show or is it is, is it mostly the sort of like the classes you were talking about and games and just making sure that you're sort of limber and ready for the show or is there other prep that's involved?
3: Well, I get prep day of or, or pre-show is definitely getting limber, getting warm, not just physically but, but mentally. So we'll do little little exercises, whether it's everyone's favorite basic zip zap, zap or or samurai or something just to to detach yourself from i don't know maybe being so grounded or so reserved you got to open yourself up because like i said anything canon will happen on stage you might have to portray a fish or a horse or or who knows what a an anthropomorphic tree so your body needs to be ready for that but your brain also needs to be ready to to speak and listen and that, I guess, is, is where classes come in. Classes are going to teach you how to speak and listen and move and react and teach you about dynamics. All the same sort of things that you would use in, in theater. You know, a line can be read a hundred different ways based on the context. It's just the context can be anything in an improv scene. So you might learn little shortcuts like, hey, if you get a suggestion from the audience about lumberjacks, you could play them as big burly people. Or here's a hint: you can turn the world upside down, and your lumberjacks are are just dainty. They're they're weaklings. They've never wanted to do this in their life, but here they are, stuck. This is the only paying gig in town. They gotta be
2: lumberjacks.
0: <laughs> the Barney Fife of lumberjacks, right?
3: <laughs> exactly. But yes, we do. We do other th- obviously. we we meet every week at least one of my groups does, for rehearsals. And and we practice what we call games or scenes. So they're your... What you might think of when you think of improv, whose line, those sort of things. And just the structures in which we improvise. We could, and some groups do, just get a word from the audience and go for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, in very grounded, very scenic or very loosey-goosey dreamy montage sorts of scenes or you do the stuff that we do where it's a it's like okay, here's a guessing game that's fun. So we obviously practice the guessing game we know these we're gonna get from the audience a celebrity, a crime and a location and we're gonna interrogate somebody and, and figure out have help them figure out what crime they did, where and with whom. So we work on that stuff. We work on just hosting the games to make it seem seamless like, like we've done it a thousand times because uh, we practice it that much just to, to build up that, that confidence and keep the audience wrapped on everything we're doing. I think the biggest thing, though, is just learning how to trust the people that you're sharing the stage with and respecting them. When you're out there alone, it's a strange feeling. And when you have just one other person, it's amazing how far your two imaginations combined can take you. So listening to them, respecting the things that they create uh, are, are paramount. And just being with each other week after week after week, and even outside rehearsals, interacting. I think that's key in, in building a strong group and relationship in general.
2: Is that one of your favorites is the uh, guess the mystery crime game or what are some of your your favorites? What what seems to be a crowd pleaser? Uh,
3: A favorite for me is a game called Chain Murder Mystery. Uh, I'm sure it goes by many improv games go by many different names. But this is the one it's kind of like a mixture of clue and telephone. Where a murder has happened. It doesn't matter if there's a body or not, but the murders happened in a location, and it was committed by someone who has an occupation, and it was committed with a weapon. The kink in the game is that nobody speaks English, you're speaking gibberish, and you have to mime all of these things. And I'm a physical performer, and love being able to demonstrate an object or a location through gibberish and mime and especially doing it in ways that other people might not think of. I like to kind of make a little story and, and show them, Oh, okay. He's getting in the car cause he's hung cause he rubbed his belly and he went and he went, gooba, and, <coughs> and pointed out the car and then went inside. And obviously that gesture there was the automatic doors to the, to the <laughs> gas station because he's getting gas station sushi. Oh, it all makes sense. <laughs> I oh, Yeah. Nice. It may not be the most art- artistic or or I don't know impressive, but it's a strong suit for me and, <laughs> and, and I just like to do it. I also really like any time there are singing games because it's just a it's a spectacle at that point. Especially if you have an accompanist who can just plop down on the piano and p- play a few bars, uh, it has a certain wow factor that the audience can just be left breathless watching you, and that's always a good feeling. <laughs> anytime, anytime they laugh, it's great, but when you can just have them watching you, sitting still, hmm. Like, makes me want to pump my fist, which is what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) It's true. If you could see right now, he is pumping away.
0: (laughs) Is that sort of a specialized subset of of folks involved in improv or the ones that will dabble in the the
3: musical type of improv or is it pretty widespread? Uh, I would say it's more specialized. Not everyone, you'd think an improviser is fearless. They're taking the stage with... With nothing but their wits but yeah not everyone is comfortable singing so mm-hmm. so the people mm-hmm. who do it if you have if you have a group that does it the people who want to do it usually get to do it because no yeah. one's fighting them for it
1: <laughs> so I, I recently um, performed in an improv show for the first time in a couple of years and I heard some advice from the guys that I was playing with who um, the advice they gave was something that I've heard several times from improvisers, which is, you know, we're all here to make each other look good. Just remember that,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
1: you're not trying to pull focus. Nobody's trying to be a star. You're you're just trying to support the other people there. Um, what are some other pieces of advice that you have for somebody who's stepping on the, the stage and being really vulnerable enough to do something um, like improv?
3: Hmm. I'm gonna to go to something that was taught very heavily in classes I took at the annoyance in Chicago. Um, at one time, there were three great improv theaters in Chicago pandemic and and other issues have kind of changed that, but usually the hierarchy was second city i o slash improv Olympic, depending on how old you are and the annoyance and the three schools were kind of described as. Second City being narrative based because the people from Second City are the people who end up writing for Saturday Night Live they're developing stories uh so they're the head of improv IO is the heart all their improv is based around character interactions and and having relationships the annoyance, uh, I don't remember if there was a body part associated with them, but if, was if probably so... probably the fist, right? Uh, yeah, something rude. Yeah. <laughs> because the annoyance just says, forget all of that. We want to have fun. And yeah, you do hear often in, in improv books or classes, make your partner look good. The annoyance says, the way to make your partner look good... Is by taking care of yourself and you might think oh I don't want to be rude I don't want to be selfish but if you make a big choice right off the bat if you say boy that was a good meal and you rub your belly all all big and loud your scene partner knows exactly who you are and they have something to bounce right off of so just yeah, if you if you focus too much on making someone else look good, you might forget to take care of yourself, and you need to take care of yourself, especially if your scene partner is also thinking about making you look good. It it becomes a problem where both sides, and this is true in relationships too, in the real world.
1: Yes, I was just thinking that. Uh, this is brilliant advice.
3: When two parties are too polite to each other. No, I defer to you. No, I defer to you. It's, it's the classic where do you want to go to eat tonight? Where do you want to go to eat tonight? Nothing gets accomplished. Both people get frustrated. It's not entertaining. The same thing that happens in relationships around the world can happen on stage if you say, oh no, you can make the big choice. No, you make the big choice. Somebody has to make a big choice, so you might as well make it you. And if if both players on stage are like, well, I'm making a big choice and I'm going to hang on to that, you're going to be fine. You'll you'll trust each other. You can bounce off each other. You just, as long as you don't have an ego, make that big choice and, and it should be smooth sailing from there.
2: Because you're working so extemporaneously, um, I'm sure there are nights where not everything is gold. So can you talk to us about a night that maybe you started low and then descended high or maybe even a scene that you were in where it wasn't going so well and you found a way to to save the day?
3: I absolutely can. Uh, I'll just pull from a recent scene I was in a few weeks ago. We were doing a game called Foreign Film Dub, which features four players, two players on stage, completely mime everything, and two players on the sides of the stage are providing the voices as if you're watching a film in a different language that has been dubbed over by native uh, native United States speakers. So the people on stage, I mean, everybody has a tough job in that game, but the people on stage, it's hard to figure out what makes things interesting or funny because you don't have you don't have full control uh, of your performance. Someone else is providing your voice, and even though you might have an instinct to do something or say something, you can't. You're just relying on them, and, and they're relying on you to do interesting things with your body. And I can't recall exactly what our suggestion was, but this game frequently takes a turn like this where you find one thing that is funny. Once you find that one thing that's a little off, a little odd, a little quirky, that gets that giggle from the audience, you go back to it and you make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And on one occasion, I remember it was, it was sort of stepping over these chairs that had been arranged as if they were a wall, uh, but they're they tall, regular-sized chairs, I guess. But for me, stepping over them, right up between my legs, it's a, it's a difficult feat, and, and so my voice is having me do it again and again and again. Because if the voice discovers something that's funny, the audience wants to see them do this. They're gonna say, "Oh, let me let me go back over there just one more time." Oh wait, I forgot. Just one more time. Uh, but I guess now nah, I'll come out and, and and reveal the, the one from a few weeks ago, because that's what I started with. Uh, I was Shrek. Uh, I think our suggestion must have been Shrek. And somehow we, we made the beautiful nine o'clock adult show discovery that Shrek's penis talked to him. <laughs> I think there was
2: a bad movie that came out just like that a couple of years ago. Yeah.
3: So... Obviously, I, I, I must, I am compelled to then haunch over and, and put my hand next to my mouth. And I'm not, you, I'm not saying the words, but my voice is providing the words directed towards my crotch and also providing the words coming back from my crotch. <laughs> and we just, we just hit that again and again and again, <laughs> because that's, that was the weird thing that we found. We said, okay, that's. That's what's gonna make them laugh. It was a regular scene until we discovered, oh, Shrek's, Shrek talks to his crotch and it <laughs> talks back. That's what this scene is about now. Uh, yeah, sometimes.
2: Does it have an odd Scottish accent like Shrek does? Or <laughs> it
3: it, uh, it did. It was a very wee voice. <laughs> but uh, once we found that, you know, it was, it was an okay scene until then. And all you need to do is find that that moment that draws the audience in a bit or pushes them back as they're laughing. And you say, okay, that's what we need to hit that again and again. Make it bigger. Make it more extreme, more absurd. Not that you can get too much more absurd than than talking (laughs) Shrek penis, but you can find ways.
1: Love it. (laughs) Well, could you tell us a little bit about your transition from improv into acting? Tell us about that first audition that you got wrangled into.
3: All right. Um, I want to say I may have been wrangled into an audition the year prior to, to getting cast in that first show, uh, a show at the Woodstock Opera House. Yeah. Um, it's the show where the guy sits down and, and the record's playing and stuff's happening all around him. You guys know it. The
2: drowsy chaperone? Yes. The drowsy oh, chaperone. Hey. See, I knew Thanks, I Justin. knew
3: someone would know it. Yeah, I'm, I think I auditioned for that and just like, I'm free this night. I may as well go and see what happens. And nothing happened. Uh, but then the next year again my good friend Jess Smith said, Matt, here's this show. Vanya, Sonia, Masha and Spike. I I know all the doy white boy actors in the county who are going to audition for Spike. And you're the only person I know who could realistically portray Spike, who, for those who don't know, the uninitiated Spike is a boy toy who spends much of the show running around in his underwear. Uh, (laughs) So I'm thinking, Jess, how do you know this about me? (laughs) But she said she was auditioning as well, which which helped me if I'm going to go do something I'm... I'm not as comfortable with. It's good to have that safety blanket there of someone who's done it before mm-hmm. and who I performed with. And at that point, I had done a bit of sketch. Granted, it was pretty much my own sketch. So it's hard to say I was able to memorize lines well when it's my own words. It's easier when, <laughs> when it's your own words. Right. But I don't know. I found the thing that made it click most was just to be comfortable in taking risks. It's something you have to be comfortable with in improv. And in the audition I was reading a scene as Spike and there were chairs set up as a couch and I just sort of stepped up to the couch and like my body was a wave. I just stepped over the couch and sat on it cuz again, I'm a physical performer and and taking that risk to do that. The director later told me, like, dude, when you did that, that was a Spike move. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was about being comfortable to to do that for the audition anyway. Right. And then once I was cast, I was like, wow, this is, this is about to be something different than I've ever done before. But golly, I, I don't know. I just trusted my instincts for the most part because at once I had the lines, I, I felt like I knew who Spike was and could... Could react as him, and yeah, I think that improv just helps me discover a whole lot of things. Like Spike, famously, does a reverse striptease because <laughs> that's how intelligent he is. Uh, when he when he comes back to the house with all of his clothes off, his his lover says, well, "Why don't you do the reverse of a striptease?" And he takes it literally. Uh, <laughs> But I just remember after doing that, uh, sitting on the table, and everyone's gone except Spike and Vanya. Who uh, I don't want to. I don't want to out Vanya, and, and I don't want to spoil the play. But it's it's heavily suggested that Vanya is homosexual and into Spike because he's a fine young boy toy. <laughs> uh, so we got to play with that dynamic, and for whatever reason. I just, almost like a like how corgis shake their butt. After I had <laughs> slipped my clothes back on and I'm sitting on the end table, I look over to, to Vanya and I give that little that little shake, that little shimmy. Just give him a little wiggle, man. Give him a little wiggle. <laughs> it's not <laughs> in the script, but it's something that I felt like this, this is something he needs to do. This is something he would do. It's almost something I would do. So, yeah, it's about finding yourself in the role, maybe, and amplifying it. Yeah. Is there a
0: particular like type of uh, play or genre of, of, of play, like uh, farce or musicals or anything like that, that you are sort of drawn to more than any other?
3: Ooh, I do like a good farce. I think probably the first play that I saw that actually made me interested in, in theater, i mean, like, wow, those people... Those people are cool. Was in high school. The company from Navy Pier came out and did a comedy of errors in our high school. Uh,
1: Such a good one.
3: And they had instead of you know actual weapons, they had little cocktail swords as their as their stage weapons. And just the the that has some good buddy buddy comedy aspects to it too. So I appreciated that. I thought, wow, they're making people laugh. Meanwhile, my friend was next to me sleeping. And I'm thinking, you're missing something awesome. What's going on? Oh. And yeah, I don't know why I didn't do anything with that uh, at that time. But I think I was just a naive high schooler who thought if they want me, they'll find me. They'll ask me. Surely <laughs> <laughs> the 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 drama teacher is is scouring the halls looking for talent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Obviously not, but that was that was a moment of this is something that's cool. And that I I probably like farce most because again, it does have that element of physical comedy which I love.
1: Yeah, speaking of physical comedy, um, I got to see your performance in Silent Laughter where, you know, we've talked about this play I feel like it's come up a couple of times in the show. And at some point, we're going to talk to Craig Gustafson, who directed it Mm -hmm. at Wheaton Drama. Um, But could you talk a little bit about what it's like to mime an entire performance?
3: Like nothing else I have ever done and probably will ever do again. Yeah, that show, I had to commute an hour to get there each night, and it was worth it 100%. Silent Laughter is, is a stage play that is a silent movie. So we had a 16-year-old kid playing piano the entire time. Craig got different pieces to, to play with, with everything we were doing on stage. And what we were doing on stage was anything you might see in a Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin movie. Running around, chasing each other, hitting each other, kicking each other. Falling over, tripping, rolling, going by on roller skates and bicycles. And yes, eventually ending in a pie fight. Awesome. The difficulty is when you're an actor, you're used to hearing a line as your cue. When there are no lines being uttered, <laughs> that changes everything. And, and also, how do, you, how do you learn a script with no lines? It was almost entirely stage direction, the entire script. But it did have little uh, screen cards. Because like a silent film that has, has captions, we were projecting on the back wall of the theater words when any time a character needed to speak. Mm-hmm. And any other time it was just projecting a backdrop, a scenic backdrop. But thankfully, Wheaton Drama has cameras and little television monitors backstage that you can watch and see, because you couldn't always see, just from the wings, what was going on, and I don't know, it, it just became, like, muscle memory, that, oh, somebody just ran off that direction, that means I need to run on in this direction, or or creep on like the villain I am playing on high tippy toes while the villainous music plays, and I needed, needed to take this long, because the song's gonna go that long, and I need to end up here. 'cause that's where this person's gonna stop. It's just a lot of a lot of repetition, but different than you're using different muscles literally than you would be in any other stage play. And we did it. It was it was a wild rehearsal process, but I I can tell you, I was getting my steps in <laughs> each time we had a rehearsal. But it was an unreal process and, and something I am so glad I got, got the privilege to do. Because it was just so indulgent of things you don't normally get to indulge in. in just wacky, wacky exaggerated because you're not, you're not saying any words. So you need your scowl to be larger than life. If you're going to try and mack on, on the hero's bow, you need to stick your tongue out extra big because the people in the audience need to know you're a vile, slippery man. Mm. And, yeah, the, I got lots of comments like, wow, well, you stick your tongue out pretty far. <laughs> well, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to look like a
2: creepo. <laughs> Gotta do it. You can't get the compliment of, wow, you memorized all those lines when you're in a silent play.
3: <laughs> yeah. <Right? laughs> oh, cool, you, great costume. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: So the the roles that you mentioned, Spike, and this very sort of physical role, these sound like this sounds like a young man's game as far as what you've been involved in in theater. If I were on the board of a theater or if I were proposing to direct something, I wouldn't take it for granted that I would have someone like you auditioning in a community theater Ooh. space. And maybe that's just my bias, but <laughs> I mean. <laughs> the the auditions that I've been at have been, you know, sort of you know an older set and a less dynamic set, and I'll probably get emails about this. because, <laughs> What are you talking about? Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm just curious if you if you thought the same thing from your perspective when you go to auditions. Do you look around and think oh, I'm the young guy, or or what do you think about when you're at auditions?
3: Huh. First thing that usually that that creeps up, the first feeling is that I'm an outsider because all these people know each other and they've done shows together before and oh. and I'm new to the game still. I've got, I don't know, maybe 10 shows under my belt and they've been doing stuff together for years. But yeah, depending on the show, I'll, I'll look around the room and I mean, for Vanya, Sonia Masha and Spike, the guys who were interested in playing Spike were... Generally pretty young, although there were only a couple of us there. I think there were three three guys. Uh, and then I look at a show like Over the River and Through the Woods, which features two sets of grandparents. So obviously that's skewed an older crowd. But just seeing the the vast difference of people out for those grandparent roles versus people out for the two young people roles... It was a chasm. I, I think I may have been the only person reading for Nick when I auditioned for that. And there was, uh, I don't know, well into the teens of the older generation looking to be my grandparents. And, and I don't know, maybe it's just the people saying, I want to do this show. My heart's set on this show or, sure. or this is the show we did five years ago, so it's time to do it again. And do you get the same crowd coming back for it? I don't know. That's still stuff I'm learning, I guess.
1: (laughs) And the great thing about your background with improv and and building these characters and the the characterization, the fine tuning of the details, it's also offered some opportunities to you to play maybe a a stretch of a character, a character who is a little older than you or a little younger than you. you know you were in a play like skylight where you played the 17 year old son and then you know uh you were also in the long christmas dinner where you got to play you know somebody who was quite a range of ages um so do you think that that is sort of a an extra tool in your toolbox that you can stretch in different directions as needed
3: i do think so yeah um Being on stage in improv, we're we're used to having a couple of characters just in our back pocket in case we need to reach there, and sometimes they're just a little too, I don't know, stereotypical. Everyone has an old character that they can go to, or a southern character that they they can go to, but when you can take that character and then put lines in their mouth and and fine-tune them, then yeah, it becomes a bit easier to make the transition. And as you say, at Long Christmas Dinner, you actively see the characters advance in age until they die on stage, and sometimes come back as as younger people. So that was an interesting challenge to, to just embody that that aging process. But again, I, I got to sort of do it with the physical performance, and... If the vocal performance was there, then that was just a, a cherry on top.
1: That's good. That's a good impetus for you to show up at all the auditions, whether they look like <laughs> they might be in your age range
3: or not. Who knows? Right. <laughs> Put some gray in my hair. We'll, we'll get there.
2: <laughs> in improv, have you turned to characters more than
3: once? Yeah. Um, there are certain characters that I will revisit. Uh, I guess they're just good to have. Where, where some performers might, might come out and play themselves, and I'm guilty of playing myself an awful lot, but like in the interrogation I, I, I refer to so, so long ago, where you're interrogating somebody because they committed a crime with a celebrity in a certain place, usually the person being interrogated might just, you know, they'll be a bit standoffish. Oh, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not a criminal. And the last time... I got to do it which was the first time in a long time. Usually I'm the the person interrogating them, but since I was the interrogated, I took the opportunity to to again turn it on its head, kind of like I talked about before. Instead of being a a bit of a fearful or angry person being interrogated, I would I brought my pompous guy to the interrogation room and it just made a fun dynamic because Obviously, the coppers interrogating this guy are just going to get amped up and angry because he's being aloof and, and <laughs> just so so curious and casual. And if I committed it on, on Pluto, then you know it was premeditated. <laughs> uh, and I don't know that I would have thought of, of that line. That was a, that's a direct line that, that I said, and I don't know that I would have thought of it if I hadn't came in as, as pompous man. Thank it you, Pompous glad. Man. Yeah, <laughs> props to Pompous Man. It's something you definitely have
2: to have a lot of personalities for, not just one.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: and another hat that you wear is being a podcaster yourself. And so where did the birth of that come to be?
3: Ooh, easy answer is is the pandemic and being being without an outlet for creative expression, because theater and improv pushed the big pause button. Slightly longer answer was, my college improv troupe started a, a yearly six-hour show when I was still in college. Like the last Friday of the year before finals, we would have a six-hour variety of show of improv, stand-up, music, whatever we could fill the time with. And obviously, last year, it couldn't happen, but they decided to do digital submissions so i recruited some people from the old college gang and we we did there's a game called fiasco i hesitate to call it a board game it's almost like if you took dungeons and dragons took out everything dealing with dungeons and dragons and just kept the the scenic interplay the role playing aspect of it and and it didn't have to be about combat or anything it's just okay the scenario here is Hollywood 1970s and you you figure out relationships based on a certain play set and we filmed like three hours of that and I cut it down to three minutes and submitted it (laughs) which was a task but in doing that like we had a blast obviously we did it for three hours and one of my friends said hey that was fun we should do more stuff do you want to do a podcast and I thought well I don't know much about it but I bought this mic here because it it was on sale at some point, and I haven't used it, so sure. And the inspiration, we battered around a few ideas, like we could do a podcast on bromances and find good buddies throughout history and, and pop culture and just do a deep dive into that. But that would have required research for each episode. And we're heavily inspired by the podcast My Brother, My Brother and Me, If if anyone out there is familiar with them, uh, three brothers, as the name implies, who at one point Yahoo Answers is dead now, but they would go on Yahoo Answers or whatever online question forum, they would take the questions and they're selling themselves as advice experts. So they take the questions and, and give quirky advice. And we thought, well, we like them so much. What can we do that's not completely ripping them off, but still somehow similar? And we struck upon finding internet reviews and reacting to them and almost taking them as improv suggestions. Because internet reviews can be weird. A lot of them are straightforward. (laughs) A lot of times people might try to make a joke. We're not necessarily looking for either of those. We're looking for the ones that, like an improv scene, at one point or another take a turn or something sticks out as odd. And then, like I say, we find that odd thing and we hit it and we hit it and we hit it. As a quick example, I recently found a review for a camp stove and these people left an Amazon review that said, this works perfectly for our self-built off the grid cabin. It's, (laughs) do I need to say any more? They're leaving an Amazon review. (laughs) How is that functioning? Did you get it delivered to your off grid cabin? (laughs) <laughs> or why do you care to leave the review? Just a whole lot of questions that we had based on that. And, and trying to envision what their life must look like as the, the Amazon truck bumbles and barrels down the, the unpaved road. Uh, so we've been doing that almost a year now because there's a lot of internet reviews out there. And, and we have a lot of content to, to easily create.
1: It's a very clever concept and a very funny show. <laughs> Would you tell our listeners the name of your podcast I and uh, will. how they can listen to it?
3: That podcast is reviewparty.com. So clever, we know. Even more clever is our website reviewparty.com.com where you can find all the episodes as well as any any platform you want to listen on, you can find it there. And I don't know, check out the blog which is sometimes comedic, sometimes just informative.
1: And that's reviewparty.com spelled out.
3: Spelled out, yes. Thank you. <laughs> that's how we roll.
1: I love it. That's great. Is there anything that we didn't cover tonight that you wanted to tell us about?
3: Oh, gosh, I should have I come prepared. You, you didn't ask if I auditioned for anything recently. You, Heidi, already know that I did. <laughs> and I didn't get cast. <laughs> and
1: I read your email wrong. It was yeah. so embarrassing <laughs> because he literally wrote me that he auditioned for something and didn't get cast. But my mind couldn't like absorb that information Can't because I thought that. for sh- I couldn't. And so I congratulated him <laughs> because I totally read it as he he auditioned and he got it. And um, like yes, that you're is the-
0: only off by like 180 degrees. Was- <laughs> you know?
1: And so then he very sweetly wrote me back and corrected me, and I went back and reread it, and I was like, I can't, I just couldn't even, I couldn't understand them not casting him. I get it. There's a lot of choices. Auditions are hard. It's very hard being a director and making those choices. But I'm a little biased. Matt's great. And so anyway, yes, you wanted to talk about your audition.
3: Uh, I mean we just did <laughs> <laughs> no but that
0: but that is that is true. We didn't sort of uh, point towards the future at all. what what do you have ahead of you Matt what what are you planning or, or what would you like to do?
3: Um, well I'm glad glad to have auditioned again it It was a strange thing. I, I checked on a Friday afternoon day was winding down at the office and saw oh, this Sunday and Monday, which happened to be, Memorial Day weekend is when they were holding their auditions and I thought that's either genius or diabolical uh, but I went and and I thought it went well nothing came of it oh well I could hear the, the director uh, having those those quivers in his voice as he told me the bad news and I thought man <laughs> I've been there don't, don't worry about it it's fine I feel bad <laughs> for you right now uh, I mean it would have been great to do it would have been another hour commute. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't even like in my mind as a possibility for long enough to really get hung up on it. I'm just yeah. glad that that things are happening. I haven't really found the next project yet, as far as a play goes. Um, as it is right now, I'm glad that improv in Libertyville, in any case, is is back to two shows every weekend on Saturday nights, and we are potentially going to put together a solid sketch show that I'm excited about. Yay. Because uh, that means I can either pull my old sketches out of cold storage or, or once again set the, the fingers to tapping and creating some new sketches.
0: So people in the vaguely Libertyville area can actually
3: see you performing uh, improv very soon? Yes, indeed. Every weekend.
1: Yeah, is there a time and place where people can catch you on the regular?
3: The Improv Playhouse in Libertyville, seven thirty, family friendly. Nine o'clock, not so family friendly. Mm. We should say you can bring your kids, but we'll judge you. <laughs> we'll play to the crowd that's there. Uh, we're smart. We're not. We're not just <laughs> machines. You push a button on. We we can read the room and see who's in it. Yeah.
1: Excellent. And with any luck, hopefully we'll be able to pick Tin Woman back up because yes. that was something that was in rehearsals when everything got shut down and it was just starting to get good, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like that would be a, a great project to, to have people see. I think yeah, my family would crossed. really enjoy it and, and and even not my family. Any other people, too.
1: Everybody's family. Fingers Everybody's.
3: crossed. Everybody's. <laughs> Uh, other than that, geez, I, I've got a, I don't know, a, a book I should get back to writing. So so stay tuned on that.
0: What's the story on that book?
3: Uh, it is not being written right now. That's the story. <laughs> the story <laughs> in the book is about uh, people who live in a big giant tree. I guess it could probably fall into like the the young adult genre, but I'm not really going for romancy stuff. It's just like that's the that's the yeah. type of language and scenario it's in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, people who live in a tree, so I've had to and, and a tree that you can't get down to the ground. So okay. I had to do some fun sci fi world building of thinking, how can they how can they make a society when you don't have access to metal, you don't have access necessarily to stone or or plastic or anything like that what does this world look like how does it function which was a cool fun project in and of itself that i had to yeah. like dig into before i even started writing uh and now mm. that i've talked about it maybe this is just the the little push i need the the spark has been relit and yes. i'll get back get to inspired
1: it inspired because we want to read it. it sounds amazing
3: hopefully hopefully
0: well thanks matt for spending some time
3: with us today
1: Thanks, Matt. You're awesome.
3: Thanks, Matt. This was awesome. Thank you.
1: Until next time, love. Have
3: a great night. Thank you. You as well.
0: And with that, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. But before I do, I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Justin Schaller and Heidi Swarthout for keeping those gears turning. Also, I'd like to thank Matt Hellyer for joining us today. Don't forget to check out his podcast, ReviewParty.com. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us again next week when our guest will be Diane McFarlane. If you would like to send us questions, comments, or soulful song lyrics, you can do that at our Facebook page or by emailing us at justforshowpodcast at gmail.com.